We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Michael Johnson says, everyone is talking about the guards, but it seems like Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler are the movers, and Joe and Pat Coogan are the tech side. What's your opinion? I hope so. I just don't know that Blake is necessarily a mover right now. That that would also, be my, my question. I also don't I also necessarily, Michael, don't love mixing both together like that, though. Like I would rather have balance on both sides, right? It's like a mover at one, a more of a technician at the other, or vice versa. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just as think an that offensive coordinator, yeah, yeah, as an offensive coordinator, I, I like having a side that I know I can just be physical with. But yeah. I also need to know that I can protect my quarterback's blind side. I, I've always kind of felt that way. Here's the thing, Ryan, too, is it, but it, part of it depends on what your run game scheme is. You've got to, you've got to be a team that's going to be more zone oriented if you're going to have that. That's the thing. He's like, you can't. Because what you can do zone-wise is you if you have a side that's not movers, you can run inside zone to that side all game because you're cutting back to the other side. You can also then you know, run some counter stuff. But the problem is with that is if I'm going to have a tech side, I need my tech side to be kind of athletic though, right? And and that's yeah. the thing is with Pat Coogan, it's not like – because my point is in, a, in theory uh, with Michael saying is you know, I have a, a really fundamentally technically sound, decent athletes on the blind side. And I've got my big molars on the right. Like today, they lined up on the right side and they had Charles Jagasaw, right guard. And like we were halfway to our vision of what we've talked about is could you imagine if it was Jagasaw and Blake Fisher <laughs> behind each right. other? You know what I mean? And and that works because there's things like I can run duo to that side. I can run counter to that side where I'm getting power blocks and then my athletic guys are pulling around. I can run, you know, tackle wrap with Joe, you know, Joe Walt, although I don't know you want a six eight guy necessarily doing that a ton. And, and then I'm running inside zone to my technique side because then it's more about technique because the cutback is always coming back to my power side. That That's what right. Notre Dame did in 2017 a ton. Like they would run inside zone to the right a ton in 2017 because your cutback is to Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. And and so your, your cut side is not your call side. But you can't really do that because, you know, you're a little bit limited in some regard because Pat Coogan's not really a mover, like athletically. So you're not going to have him wrap around and 
run counters and wraps and kickouts on power and stuff like that. You're just you're just not going to see that with him. And so I don't know if you're getting this per se. You're, you're let me rephrase. You're not getting the advantages of this theory that I support actually as an offensive coordinator. You're not getting that because your left guard who's a technical guy doesn't move like you want him to. Like if it was him and if it was Joe Alt and a, a you know pick a more athletic guy like Ashton Craig, let's say he was the guy that won that, then I'd say, yeah, that makes a ton of sense because Ashton Craig's really athletic. Joe Alt's really athletic, and there's a lot of things I can do athletically. I can run my stretch stuff to that side. Even though I'm not running power stuff, I can run my my stretch, my outside zone. I can run my toss, my, my crack toss stuff because I can get those two guys pulling. There's things you can do, but you can't do a lot of that stuff that I just talked about, Ryan, with Pat Coogan, at least from what we've seen. Right. And that's where I don't think it it works if you if you – in theory, that makes sense. I just don't think practically you get out of it what you do because your guard's not a guy that you're just going to have in space a lot. So is that kind of, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with that one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let me let me ask this one, Ryan, because this is more sort of an NFL question. Caleb Collins asks, coming out, who would you draft first? Caleb Williams, Trevor Lawrence, or Joe Burrow? I would have drafted Trevor Lawrence first. I think that Trevor Lawrence fits everything that I want in a quarterback. Joe Burrow was an incredible prospect, which is why he was top five, a top three player, I think, for me in that class. I love Joe Burrow as a player. 
but Trevor Lawrence has more physical gifts than what Joe does. Joe has a good arm. Trevor has a great arm. Joe's a little bit more. Joe's a, a good athlete. Trevor's a, gr- a really good athlete for his size and his style. Caleb, I mean, Caleb's special, dude. Like, he's a special talent. But there are some holes in Caleb's game, right? Like, I think that he works to out of structure a little bit too quick at times. I think that he is only six foot one in some change. So he's a little bit of a shorter quarterback. So I would defer to Trevor Lawrence in this conversation if I could have all three as prospects. Not now, but as prospects. Because right now people would be like, oh, you take Joe Burrow. And it's like, sure. But as prospects, I would have taken Trevor Lawrence. John Climax says, Brian, I agree with the freshman talk. I think the biggest difference I need to see and believe I will is that the young talent gets on the field. Packages are made for them simplified. Agree. Agree. He had five Burkhart boys says thoughts on Gabriel Rubio's pushing for major playing time this year. Sounds like he is finally looking like the project we thought he could become or prospect. I'm sorry, not project prospect. We oh. could become. Ryan, I, I kind of think we saw that last year, right? I, I felt Gabriel's pretty solid late in the year. I mean, he played 184 snaps last season. Yeah, he, he gave I you mean, some quality reps down the, right. down the stretch. Yep. And he didn't play against Ohio State. He only played two snaps against Marshall, four against Cal, eight against North Carolina. He played a lot more in the second half of the season, and I thought he played good football. or He started to flash that. So I would say he kind of started to show that this year. What I think he's doing in fall camp this year, Ryan, is he's taking it to another level. Right. You know, I, I think he's put some weight on. He's a little bit more explosive than he was last year. He's in a little better condition than he was last year. I think he's playing more confidently than he was last. So I think the experience, I think he got major playing time last year. And I think that has positioned him to take that jump this year. Right. Uh, you know, so so I understand where you're coming from on this one, uh, uh, Burkhart boys. But I, I think it was it was the experience he gained last year that is putting him in position to do that this year. And I think it 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 it's where you want to be because it, let's just say Riley Mills is everything that we hope he can be. Ryan, I still don't want him playing yeah. fifty snaps a game. I don't. Sure. Yeah. Now you may do that against Ohio State. You made him to do that against Clemson, right, or USC. But th- that's it. I need. But I also need. I also know that hey, against NC State, I can't take him off the field if the guy that I'm putting in there isn't a difference maker too. Right. Because then I have to have a 50-20 snap split as opposed to a, a 40-30 or 35-35, depending on how certain things go. And and what we're seeing from Gabriel Rubio is that when you put him in the game, like when you put – and this is what was so funny about the practice we were at, Ryan. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read the practice report, but the thing that I said is the first-team offensive line struggled no matter – because there were times where there were one-on-ones, but then there were other times it was twos-on-ones. So the two defense is going against the one offense, and they were yep. still giving the offense problems. Because you look at the two defense – and it's Josh Burnham, Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, and Javante Jean-Baptiste. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. That's a starting yeah. defensive line for over half the teams on their aim schedule this year. Oh, right? Easy, yeah. Yep. And and that's where you want to be. It's like, you know, hey, Riley, Riley, we don't have to play you as much as we've played D tackles in the past because we can keep you fresh. Because here's the thing: I want Riley Mills on that fourth quarter drive against Ohio State. You're up by two points. Ohio State just needs a field goal to win. I want mm-hmm. Riley Mills going on that field on rep 35, not rep sure. 55. Because rep 35 means he's got a better chance of having the legs and the juicy needs, Ryan, to make that big play to stop the drive. Yep. That's the difference. Yep. And that's where I want to be. But if Gabriel doesn't step up and do that, you can't you can't do that with Riley. You have to play him more. I think this is like the progression that you really want out of football players mm-hmm. for the most part, right? I mean, there's rare it happens, but like typically players don't just 
nothing, 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 and then balloon as a junior, right? Like usually there's just like consistent exponential, um, consistent improvement. I think what you're seeing from Gabriel. Gabriel wasn't ready to play as a freshman. Showed steady improvement as a Richard freshman. So steady improvement down the stretch. And now he looks like he's a viable rotation player as a nose guard on a full-time basis. Like that's what he looks like now. So I think you're just seeing a player that's being project, uh, a player that is being developed properly, I think is what Mm -hmm. you're seeing out of Gabriel. Yep. I like what we're seeing from Gabriel. And if that, but again, now they got to take it into the season, into the real games, right? We had a question from Will C 2.0 Driscoll. What was the that one year in the early 90s where you said Notre Dame should have been champs because they beat all top 10 teams? All top I 10 never teams. said they should have been champs. I uh, meaning like they should have, meaning like the way that they, they got screwed out of a championship. I don't know that Notre Dame has ever been screwed out of a championship, meaning the the way the season played out, they should have won other than maybe 1993. And that's only because they won the head-to-head against Florida State. But I've also countered that if you look at it, Florida, Notre Dame's loss that year was to a top 15 team. Florida State's loss that year was to num- the number two team on the road by a touchdown, a, a game that was not as that competitive. The game, the season I think you're referring to is actually not in the early 90s. If it's If what you're saying, if I'm reading it correctly, it's the 89 season. Right. And I've pointed this out. 1989 Notre Dame football team also did not deserve to win the championship that year because they lost to Miami, who was the national champion. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I said was, is that was probably the best Notre Dame team that we saw. They beat uh, they beat number two, Michigan that year. They beat number 17 Air Force. They beat number nine USC. They beat number seven Pitt. They beat number 17 Penn State. And they beat number one Colorado in the Orange Bowl. So it was that team is what I'm referring to. The 93 team had some big wins that year, but they didn't have as many big wins as the 89 team. They beat number three, Michigan. But Ryan, their next win over a team that was ranked when those two teams played wasn't until Florida State on November 13th. They went two and one that year against teams that were ranked in the top 25. You go back to 1989, again, two and one against teams that were ranked in the top 25 compared to, so one, two, three, four. They were five and one against ranked teams in the regular season in 1989. They went 3-1 and one that year against teams ranked in the top 10 in 1989 and, and uh, beat Michigan at Michigan and then beat USC at home and then beat Pitt, who was ranked number 7, 45-7. So, uh, and they also had a win at number 17 Penn State that year. So it's not that they should have won, meaning they got screwed. It's just that was a great Notre Dame team, but – they were 11 and 1 or 12 and 1. Miami was 11 and 1. Miami beat them by 14. Miami deserved to be the champion that year. That's just, I mean, it sucks, but it's the reality. 93 is the year you could make a case that Notre Dame deserved it for the same reason I just made the case that Notre, that Miami should have won in 89, which is they won the head to head. So yeah. I think 93 is the year. So there's two things I think you're somewhat putting into one, Will is 89 team was the best team I've ever seen from Notre Dame as far as talent and dominance. They weren't the best team because 88 was because they actually won all their games. 89 was most dominant. 93 is the team they should that should have won a championship, but not because they beat a bunch of top teams. It's just they were 11-1, and one, ranked number two, and they beat number one in a game, Ryan, that was a convincing win. It, I mean, I know it came down to the last playoff, but – Notre Dame kind of let Florida State back in that game a little bit. That was a convincing victory if you've ever watched that game. Notre Dame was clearly a better team that day. 
So I think that's the year that Notre Dame fans could could argue they got screwed out of a, a championship, but it's not because they beat a bunch of top-ranked teams because they only beat two, Michigan and right. Florida State. That's it. Matter of fact, it's the only two ranked teams they beat all year as far as teams that were ranked when they played. So it's a little bit, uh, little bit of a different deal. <clears throat> we had a next question from Ryan Loftus who says, who do you think wins the SEC this year? I mean, I think it's Georgia. I think it's I mean, Georgia. Ryan, you're the champs till somebody beats you, right? I mean, the, yeah. Uh, I'm there's too many questions like, with some of those other teams, in my opinion. Yeah. I think LSU is a little overhyped, and I think Alabama has some questions to prove yeah. this year. So I agree. If and one Tennessee of the, is going to take a step back, in my opinion, as well. I'm going to so. say this to you, Ryan, and I want to get your thoughts on this. If Al- if somebody steps up and takes hold of that Alabama starting job and just says, I'm that dude. Yeah. I'm not saying the guy be Bryce Young, but just mean like, I'm the best quarterback we have. Not because it's like, well, if three guys aren't playing great, we got to go with this guy. But like, whether it's Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow or Tyler Buckner, especially if it's Simpson or Buckner, in my opinion. If one of those guys just says, hey, I got this. This is mine. Do you think then Bama becomes the favorite takeaway past and all that? Because yeah. my whole, my contention is I think this is a really talented Alabama team. With the, my questions are coordinators, especially the defensive coordinator, and the quarterback. That that's like if, I, I if guess, Carson Beck was at Alabama right now, yeah, I, I wouldn't be because I think they're going to have a big. I should say where where I think the time of Reese hire helps them is because I think the mistake Bama has made in recent years is that they don't run the ball enough. I think this is a massive – have you seen the size of their projected starting offensive line? It's like a bunch of 325, 330 dudes across the board. I think they're moving yeah. like Cade Proctor, like guard. They are massive, and I think they're going to run the football a bunch, and they're going to go back to playing old-school Bama football. If they if they had a better coordinator than Kevin Steele, I'd, I'd feel a lot better about that if I knew they had a quarterback that had seized that job. That, so it's hard for me to say Bama's going to be Georgia when when they have those question marks. But if those yeah. questions get answered affirmatively, Ryan, or do you still feel Georgia's the team to beat even in that scenario? I, I still think Georgia because I, I just I guess I just had more question marks about, about Bama than just the quarterback because, I mean, yeah. their skill position didn't play very well overall last year. I mean, you still have things to prove a wide receiver – Offensive line's talented, but it's still pretty inexperienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as like proven commodities, I mean, I thought JC Latham was pretty overrated last year, to be yeah. honest. Like, I thought he was okay. Yeah. I thought um, he's pretty good in the spring, the spring game. I thought he looked better in the spring game. When you yeah. know they're leaving him at right tackle. Did you see that? They're not they're see that. the left yeah. tackle. Yeah. Who's you know, the other tackle? thing, huh? Who's playing left tackle for that? It's, it's not a kid that I was overly familiar with. I'd have to go back and look at uh, because Proctor's gonna be a guard. Uh, Pritchett, man. Pritchett, I believe is, yeah, I believe Pritchett's who they're going to, it's Elijah Pritchett, right? I think he's who they're going to have a left tackle. Uh, You know, the other question, the thing that, you know, where I, where I still have some hesitation with Georgia, Ryan, while I'm entertaining the Bama stuff is because how I feel about Kevin Steele is exactly how I feel about Mike Bobo. If Todd Munkin was still the OC, no brainer. I just remember what Georgia offenses look like with Mike Bobo and it wasn't pretty. And so that's kind of my big concern. The thing is, yeah. it may hurt them more next year when they lose Brock Bowers and some of their offensive linemen than it'll hurt them this year because I think their offensive line this year is going to be really freaking good, in my opinion. Oh, who's that, Georgia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That offensive line is going to be really good. I agree. Yeah. And Brock Bowers doesn't suck. He's pretty no, good. He's pretty, decent <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. <laughs> we had a question from Blake. Michael Safa says, Happy Friday. I'm glad to be back in the chat. Of the freshman and sophomore linebacker class, who is the highest upside 
from both college and NFL perspective? From what I've seen so far, Ryan, it's Drake Bowen. Just his combination, because what he has that 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 Jalen Seed definitely doesn't have, and what Jaden Osbury doesn't quite have yet is bingo. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just girth; it's length. It's he's taller. He's he's long. He's got power. Uh, where I would rank upside for me is Bowen, Osbury, Sneed. See, the problem with Jalen Sneed is he's got a chance to be a really impactful, disruptive college football player. He's not very big. And unlike Jeremiah Usukoromoa, he hasn't looked like a guy that can play in space the way that Jeremiah could. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. He's built like Jeremiah, but he's not as comfortable in space as Jeremiah. He, he you know, and so that's kind of been a bit of a concern for me. And, and I still like Jalen Sneed, but. Those other two kids, Ryan, are are they're dudes. They're yeah. absolute dudes. Yeah, I think Drake Bowen for NFL purposes, though, is a good pick. I mean, kids six two, two hundred and thirty plus pounds already and can run. Right. So like, yeah, sure. Cause <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Ryan, and I don't know the answer. In in the NFL, do yep. they still value having I mean, I know you gotta run, but do they still value yep. ideally having some girth as a middle linebacker in the NFL? Or is that oh hundred percent? Okay. Well, I mean, they they value the ability to stop run because I think that people think that it's not as important. But the thing is, guys, is that it's lighter boxes, so it's actually more important for a linebacker to be a really good run stopper because there's less numbers in there, right? That's I true. mean, so yeah, linebackers need to stop the run first and foremost. I know we think that the NFL is transformative into a complete space game, but like linebackers are still run first players at the end of the day. So yeah, you still need some size, the ability to stop the run. No doubt about it. I'll pull up another one, Ryan, that I'm going to ask because it's also an NFL okay. question. So let me get this one from T guns. He goes, Ryan for fantasy football, which rookies would you draft where uh, draft where, if you got them where you want them? So like which rookie, if you could tell me which rookies you're going to get in fantasy football, who would yeah. you want and where would you want to be able to get them? I, I would draft Anthony Richardson late rounds just for the rushing aspect of it because fantasy football, obviously, quarterbacks that can run the football are a big thing. I mean, I'm not drafting to be my quarterback one, but like in the bye week perspective of your top quarterback being out, like maybe you throw Anthony Richardson out there and he runs for 90 yards and a couple touchdowns and does his thing, right? Like that that would be a guy that's interesting because potentially get him a little bit late. Running backs, Bijan, I mean – I. The thing is that Bijan's going to be a little bit overdrafted because he's a rookie and you still have to see him play, but he's going to go top two rounds because he's that guy. But I would still, Jameer Gibbs is one that I would be comfortable with because he, you're probably, you could probably get him in the third, the fourth round. I think he's going to catch a lot of passes for Detroit. And I mean, if I'm playing fantasy football, it's going to be a, a point, you know, a point purple reception league, a PPR league. So he's another guy. Wide receivers, I'm not in love with this wide receiver class, so I'm not sure about that one, man. I'm not totally sure. Michael Mayer, who would you, who would you take if you had to take a refresh a rookie receiver? Man, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I guess, but I wouldn't feel great about it. I would just what about like, Zay yeah. Flowers in Baltimore? Would you feel good about that one at all? Just knowing the need there and all that, or do you think he's going to need some time? Because do you have do you have like I, do you have like Jalen Rieger vibes or something like that when you when you think oh, no, of Zay or? No, I love Zay. I love Zay as a player. Okay. I just think that Zay's maybe more, if we're talking about from a fantasy football perspective, especially in like a PPR league, one guys that are going to catch a lot of passes. I feel like Zay's gotcha. going to be more of a low volume, high yard per catch type gotcha. of guy. Like that's kind of what gotcha. I see for him. So, and usually well, those guys that, score that, a ton yeah. of touchdowns. So, like yeah. that also decreases the value a little bit. With Not Jackson, he's going to catch guy. a ton of passes if he's starting, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay. he's going to be a starting slot gotcha. receiver. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a 70, 80 catch guy as a gotcha. rookie. Like, I wouldn't be shocked with that at gotcha. all. Gotcha. 
Freddie CO3 says, Brian, where did you get that hat at? Notre Dame bookstore in, in person. I do not see it online. I got this in person. So and they had a, the other one is kind of like this, but it's a different company, but it had the play like a champion sign, but I didn't like it as much. I like, cause it, it was a little too um, uh, obnoxious. That big gold play like a champion thing right there. was a little bit too it's obnoxious for my taste. The 3D yeah. popped out. Yeah. No, yeah. Wasn't quite that bad, but it, it, it definitely, it definitely did. John Lacey says, is it possible Billy Shrub isn't a, quite 100% from the surgery and will, as the season goes along, basically, is it only a matter of time before he takes over? I, I mean, if that were true, John, like, let's just say in theory that that that, that could be a thing. Well, why did he get all the first team reps in the spring? Like, that's the thing that concerns me is like, you know, he yeah. got all the first team reps in the spring and he's not now. So maybe there's a setback, but he doesn't look like there's a setback. I mean, it doesn't. I don't notice any, but that could be it. It could be a thing where he's just maybe a little bit limited right now because of reps. And so you can't put a guy that's limited in your chart. Maybe that's it. I, I, I mean, is it kind of crazy for me to say, I kind of hope that's it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think we need to know, like, I know that we're all hyper-focused about who's in the starting lineup now, but there's a right. very good possibility that a couple starters aren't starters by the end of the season, right? Like that happens every yeah. single year. So, yeah. Uh, Tom Frawley said Drake Bone reminds me of a young Bob Crable. That's before both of our time, Ryan. Yes. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you. Are you familiar with what uh, Tom Crable did at Notre Dame? I, so, I know I I know of him, but yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this up. So if you look at uh, if you look at Notre Dame's all time leader in, in tackles, I'm gonna give you some numbers. Uh, Bob Crable has the Notre Dame record. Him and Bob Golick are tied. Uh, for most tackles in a game with 26. And if you look at the top 10 single game tackle records, top Bob Crable is in there six times. That's pretty good. <laughs> he has the number one, two, and four single season tackle records, 187, 167, and 154. And he also had 521 career tackles. To put that into context, he had just under 90 more tackles than Manti did in his career so yeah bob crable was a was a really really he was a tackling machine he also i believe is the i think it's bob crable some of y'all can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe it's bob crable crable who's the reason they changed the the kickoff the uh place kick the field goal rule that you can't jump on someone to block a kick because he did that against i think it was him he jumped on kind of a guy and then uh, went up and blocked the field goal that would have won it for michigan and it was not against the rules, but they changed the rules after that, that you can't mm. jump on someone's back to block a kick. But he was a heck of a yeah. football player from talking to Lou Samoji, looking at the numbers, and then just watching some old film when you can when you can occasionally come across it. Sounds uh, like it sounds like some Luke Keekly numbers when yeah. he was at Boston but College. To the point, yeah, exactly. To the to, yeah. to Tom's point though, that's how I envision Drake. Like if he's if he's what we think he is, he will be a tackling machine. He will be 120 tackle kind of guy because he'll either be making solos or he'll be around the ball all the time because yeah. he's just so fast yep and i could see him being that kind of guy right i'm gonna ask this one of you it's an nfl type of deal it's notre dame related okay. gomer grizz asked does howard cross have nfl potential or is he too small uh maybe uh and i'll ask it i'll ask him one at a time so i'm gonna do howard okay. cross first uh maybe three four d end only does he have nfl potential I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he sticks somewhere for a little time. Being, I mean, he has to be 280 plus pounds, so he can't show up no. and be 270 something like that. Can't be a reality. So he has to maintain the quickness. 
340 defensive end, absolutely not, Domer Grizz. Like he, you need length to be able to play a 340 defensive yeah. end. You need to play outside your frame a ton. And Howard has okay length for his height, being only a six foot guy, but like he's not a th- he's not an odd man front guy. Like he's he not Elvis Dumerville, uh, who was five exactly. eleven, but had crazy. He length. needs yeah. to sell himself as a four three penetration style three technique at the next yeah. level. That is what he needs to sell himself as. The next question was, what about Jordan Patelho? Maybe he'd be a Viper DN in a four three, or would he have to move to an OLB in a three four at the next level? I actually think that he could do either one at the next level because he's up to 264 pounds now. Like that's the hesitation, right? As far as, you know, holding up. But I think that he could be a Brian Arakpo-esque type of player where I think three, four and four, three teams could both be a interesting fit for Tormatello. I think he has NFL talent for sure. I mean, the kid's explosive, the kid's versatile, and he's made a lot of plays in the limited snaps. It's just if he's able to show consistency, obviously, but yeah, I think he is an NFL level talent. It's just about developments. Obviously. We had a question from Kyle Barry who says, is Drew Tranquil a good comp for Drake Bowen or is he more athletic? And from an athleticism standpoint, I do think they're comparable, Ryan. I think they're similar body types. I think Drake's a little thicker at the same age. I mean, Drake is as yeah. thick now as Drew was as a senior, fifth-year senior. Wild. Because Drake, I mean, Drew started as a 205-pound free safety at Notre Dame, right? Like, he had to grow to that point. Drake is there now. The reason I would say that I don't know that Drew and Drake are proper comps is because Drew, Drew is even still as a linebacker, a, sp- a, guy, a space guy. He's yep. a will space guy. Uh, he Person doesn't have guy. real big arms. Drew is a, a, a Drake to me can be a Mike. You know, we've talked, he could be a micro will, but I really liked him at Mike and he's got longer arms. He can be a little bit more effective at the point of attack to me where right. one of the issues with Drew Tranquil was, is he would miss some tackles in the box. Cause if, if he couldn't square running back up, if he had to side tackle you because he, he wasn't real long. So, you know, you can kind of stiff arm him maybe a little bit easier than you you could for someone of his talent level because he just does, doesn't have great – was it like 30-and-a-half-inch arms or something like that, Ryan, if I remember something, correctly? Yeah, coming out? It's not super long. Drake's yeah. going to be longer. I mean, to me, he looks a lot longer than Drew was. I don't know what you thought of him when you saw – I'm not saying he's got like 35-inch go-go gadget arms, but he he seems <laughs> – length to me doesn't seem like it's going to be an issue for Drake from what sure. I saw of him in person. So yeah. uh, that's – that you know, there. but the, athletically, I think there's a lot of comps because if – if if Drake is as athletic as Drew, then yeah. that's really flipping good. Because the one thing that Drew Tranquil can do is move. Yeah, there's could. no doubt. Yep, he tests the great. Yep. PK says, I think the stability of Disney and ESPN are in doubt. ESPN in particular, most money from parks, which are down big time. Brian, you are right. Let it play out. Yeah, I just, Ryan, I just don't see how it's sustainable. I mean, yeah. you know, Disney, well, the thing is, but Disney's trying to sell ESPN. So it just depends on if there's a, but who would be the stable giant corporation that can take on that budget? That's the thing, I right? It, I don't, I just, but that leads to what Ryan and I have talked a lot about. There's so much up in the air. We don't know how certain things are going to play out. And that's why I just, right. you know, college football will never be the same. We could end up getting back to where we started, Ryan, when this is all said and done. Where yeah. they can't even afford sixteen team lead, you know who who knows? I mean it, it's going to get interesting. It's going to get interesting. No doubt about it. Ryan Hagen, great first name. Would you say that this is the best Notre Dame roster since the Holtz era? When you factor in experience and depth of talent on both sides of the ball, the roster feels very well balanced compared to others. 
I, I I've got to see. I got to see a little bit more, Ryan. I, I don't know that I can put it up there with the 2015 roster just yet. I think this roster is a lot deeper. But yeah. what we don't know about this team is, do they have a Will Fuller? Do they have a Jalen Smith? Do they even have a Kavari Russell? You know, I mean, like where, where the one thing about Kavari is Kavari made the money plays and money games. You, you know, I like to think that, that Will, you know, Benjamin Morrison did that against Clemson, but, you know, that was that was one game. I still think there's enough questions about certain positions. Like you're going to the 2015 offensive line. You had Quentin Nelson at left tackle, Ronnie Stanley at left or left guard, Ronnie Stanley left tackle, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle, and Nick Martin at center with Steve Elmer at right guard, who was a basically a year had started for a year and a half beforehand. There's still right. too many questions for me to say that. What what I will say about it is is there's more depth of talent on this team than I've seen in a long time. But a lot of that is freshmen and sophomores. Sure. That's the reality of it. So how ready will those guys be? That's going to go a long way towards telling us if this is a really good 10-2 and two team or is this a team that compete for a title. We, we need to see some of these guys step up. We need to see Tobias Merriweather take that next step. We need to see some of the position changes pay off. We need to see some of these young players really be that dude, right? And, and I don't know that we know that they're there yet. The potential's right. there, right? But I can't sit there and convince you all that, you know, Jason Onye is going to be a monster this year because I've seen Jason Onye take a grand total of one snap in college football. I've seen practice, Ryan, but you and I both know NFL, college, high school, Pop Warner, there's some guys that are just really good in practice. And when the lights get bright, they don't play as well. It's not often, but it happens. I just need to see these guys play well. Do I think Jason Onye is going to be that guy? Yeah, I do, because he's just done it so often now in practice. It's like, okay, he's, he's that's who he is but I still got to see it on game day. And sure. and that's the thing for me is I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, Ryan, that's more of a, uh, that's more of a postseason question than a preseason yeah. question. What I can tell you is, is I'm, I'm as excited about the potential of this team as I have been any team in the Brian Kelly era. And that's not a shot of Brian Kelly. It just says how good this team could be. But in 2015, I had a lot more knowns than I have about yeah. the 2023 team, right? I knew Will Fuller was going to be really good. I knew Malik Zaire, what he looked like in this offense. I knew what kind of running back Torian Folson was going to be. I knew what the offensive line was going to look like because we'd seen Mike McGlinchey. The only the only unknown in the 2015 offensive line was Quentin Nelson. That was it. Nick Martin yeah. was a starter for the two previous years. Ronnie Stanley was a two-year starter. Mike McGlinchey stepped in in the LSU bowl game, and they ran for like 260 yards against LSU. Right. I mean, we knew who Steve Elmer was. There were just we knew who Jalen Smith was. Ryan. We knew who Kavari Russell was. He was back. We knew what Cole Luke was coming off of a phenomenal sophomore season in 2014. Do you remember how good Cole Luke Cole Luke was in 2014? He was tremendous. You know, we there were just so many more knowns on that 2015 team going at this stage. Now, obviously, Malik ended up getting hurt and Torrin Folson ended up getting hurt and all that. But Ryan, there were just so many knowns. Uh, we knew what Sheldon Day was, and then he took it to another level. There just were way more knowns on that football team, especially on offense, I would say, than what we know now about this football team. And so that's why I just need to see him play games. But I the, the potential's there, guys. There's just there's enough potential conversation in my head for me to definitively say yes to the answer to answer that question. I don't know yeah. if that's fair or not, Ryan, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think it's more a postseason question than a preseason question. I agree with that. Yeah. It's kind of hard to stack that up, you know. Yeah. 
right now I can just tell you, Ryan, what my excitement level is. And my excitement level is sky high, but it's still about potential. Right. As opposed to what we, the knowns. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We had a question from Bill Walsh that ESPN Lady Hartman, Lady Hartman, left Hartman off their list of top yeah. 20 of 25 players that can make a mark on the playoff race. I would have thought he should be near the top of that list, impacting OSU, USC, Clemson, Notre Dame. Ryan, it's going to shock you. This was a Bill Connolly article. Nice. And so he wrote an article uh, talking about the 25 players that are going to have the biggest impact on the college football playoff. Was that the one that Buckner was number five or something? Yes. Got it. Yes. I saw some of it. Yep. He had Tyler Buckner, number five, JJ McCarthy, number six, Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, number four. My understanding, Drew Aller, number two, Joe Milton, number one. Oh, Joe Milton. You know, and you just kind of go through it, and and um, he didn't even list Notre Dame. He listed Tanner Mordecai for Wisconsin as an other candidate, but nobody Ooh. from Notre Dame. Nice. Nobody from Notre Dame. And look, guys, if you haven't figured this out yet, Bill Bill Connolly is flat out someone, in my opinion, that has a, a Notre Dame problem. He has a Notre Dame bias. You're going to have Bo Nix at 24. So basically you think Oregon has a chance to make a playoff run, but Notre Dame does not. Like that's the silliness of it. He's got, he's got KJ Jefferson on there. So you, you know, as a spoiler, he's got Spencer Rattler as a spoiler. Connor Wegman as a spoiler. Hold on a second. Doesn't Sam Hartman play against Ohio state Clemson and USC three teams you think could be a playoff. So my whole point is, if Sam Hartman goes off in one of those games, how can you have Sam have KJ Jefferson and Spencer Rattler on there, but not Notre Dame if you're an honest, objective person? SEC. And I yeah. think that answers the question right yeah. there because he's not an honest, objective person. If you don't think Notre Dame's that going to be that, if you think Notre Dame's going to go nine and three this year and they're not a playoff team, that's fine. That, that, that's yeah. okay. Whatever. I'm not going to get mad at somebody for saying that because Notre Dame has a lot to prove. And you can say, well, they've proven they can go one and two against the best teams on the schedule. True. But they haven't proven that they can beat everybody else on the schedule, even if they go one and two against the big boys. They could go two and one against the big boys and still go nine and three. Guys, they lost to Marshall and Sanford last year. That's all fair, Ryan. That's all fair. But how are you going to not have him in a category of spoiler when you have KJ Jefferson and Spencer Rattler? Like, seriously. Right. Drew Pine knocked Clemson out basically last year of the playoff by throwing for 85 yards. You can't put Sam Hartman in there. 
Yeah. Right. So it is so obvious that this guy has a, a Notre Dame, uh, something up as you know what about Notre Dame. I don't know what it is. And honestly don't care. Uh, that's a him problem. And he's the one with the broken formula that even after the season played out, still said LSU was behind Clemson and Ohio state. So, you know, whatevs. Hmm. So there we go. Job bill. Yeah. Peace. Uh, the history expert says I'm a Colsey fan, but if he doesn't pan out, would other receivers have to switch positions or would Notre Dame just promote the second string to boundary receiver? That's way well, too strong, man. Number That's one, Deion Colsey's not the number one boundary receiver right now. Jaden Thomas is. Right. So right now, Deion Colsey is the number two. Right. I, I, Ryan, to me, I don't use this as strongly as switch positions. Right. Because if you can play – if Tobias Merriweather can play field outside, he can play boundary outside. I mean, the, the route concepts right. are going to be very similar. Would you need to ramp up reps for a guy like Jaden Greathouse? Possibly. I mean, you know, we, Matt Salerno, you know, I mean, there's guys that will have to kind of get a little bit more boundary reps because there are things that are unique to boundary, like getting off coverage and press, and you don't have as much room to work with as you do when you're working more field side. But, you know, there's going to be times you're going two minute where you're just going to play left, right. And you're going to still have to know how to do that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think sure. it's, it's just as strong as saying switch positions. It's just getting work, doing some different things in different parts of the system. But I, I do think if, if, but here's the thing for Dion, not to be able to be the number two boundary, he'd have to regress from last year. I was going to say, like, are we so down on Dion that we don't think he could at least be yeah. a backup boundary? Receiver like he was last like? season. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I just, but yeah, that's just, you know, that's the reports that people are responding to, but um, you know, look, Dion would have to regress for him not to be the number two for right. me. Like to just like what I think happened is today, Dion didn't get to take any reps with in tempo, but neither did Chris Tyree, neither did Cam Hart. I just think sometimes we, as fans, we get such little nuggets of information. Then we take those and we expand on them with no context, Well, we don't know the context of why he didn't take any reps today. And you can't just say, well, it means he's not in the ones or twos because then you'd have to say, okay, well, neither is Chris Tyree and right. neither is Cam Hart. And Jack Kaiser's no longer a starter. Like, I just don't like, yeah. like sometimes when a guy misses a practice and everyone thinks that they're transferring, it's just like, right. Guys, yeah. I mean, for all we know, Dion sometimes. came out late because he had a equipment issue that needed to get fixed. I mean, right. I don't know the answer to that. I don't like speculating on those kind of things, but Dion Colsey would have to be worse this year than he was last year for him to not be part of the rotation to require kind of what you're referring to. Head Archer four, five, two says if the defensive line doesn't dominate this year, does Notre Dame move on from Al Washington or does he get more time? If they don't dominate it, it I mean, there's so much more. Okay. Does that mean that they're not very good? If they're not very good, then sure. Yeah. If they're just really good, but don't dominate, you don't fire him. I don't think, I think that's way too much of a stretch for me, Ryan. They would have to be bad or just kind of okay average for even to consider making that kind of move in my opinion. Right. So uh, yeah, if, if the defensive line is just pretty good, but not dominant, I don't think you move on. A lot, a lot of different layers to yeah. not being dominant. Right. I mean, you could right. still be very good. You could still be good. Right. You could be poor. I mean, there's just I, a lot, little more context. I think Archer. Agree. Another question. I from David. I, I'm sorry. I love this. The way he, I, this is one of my favorite, just the way he worded it. It's just, I love this. This is, this is, a, this is a funny one. David Carpenter says, who do you think will catch the most passes this year? And why is it Tyree? <laughs> Talk about leading. Uh, I don't think it'll be Tyree. 
Because yeah. I think Tyree is going to be a guy that does more with a little less. Now, sure. if you want to talk about who's going to get the most touches this season of the receivers, then it could be Chris Tyree because he's going to get reverses and jets and stuff like that too, Ryan. I mean, so if you want to say touches, but if you talk about catches, you know, as of right now, I still think it's going to be Jaden Thomas as of right now. I mean, he's playing yeah. the boundary position. That is the position that primarily is your, your guy that's going to get the most volume. I don't think Chris is, I mean, he is going to rotate with other guys, Jaden Greathouse and other players. So um, I don't know that I would put Chris in that. I will say this. If Chris Tyree leads them in catches this year, I think that means that that's most likely means this offense is really dangerous because it means Chris is really adapted to this right. offense and he's playing a lot of snaps and he's healthy and all that kind of stuff. So that wouldn't be a bad thing. I just don't think it's going to be him. Right. Could he end up yeah. leading the team in yards? Sure. I could see that. I think, I think that would be more something I'd be more in line with agreeing with Ryan than catches. Sure. That's just my two cents. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I, I think, I think, I mean, Jade Thomas would be my pick as well. I think, I think, I mean, we, we still have to remember Chris Tyree's in his first year of playing wide receiver, right? Like we're talking about him versus guys that have been wide receivers their entire life for the most part. So I would still bet on Jaden Thomas or somebody else, a true, a true wide receiver before the season. Tobias or Jaden. High volume yeah. guy. My my two bets for leading the team in catches are, excuse me, Jaden Thomas and, and Tobias Merriweather in that order. That would be my two cents. Yeah. You have Bill Walsh, Will Holden Stays have a longer yards per catch than Michael Mayer did last year. I mean, Michael's was like 11 point something, right? Like it wasn't yeah, very high. He was, he was 12.1. 12. 1. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, was I'll, 11 I'll, something the year before, right? He was 11.8 the year before. Yeah. I'll, I'll say yes, because I think Holden's a little bit more of a seam runner type, a guy that can spread out a little bit more as far as like legitimately being like you could throw holding stays into the boundary if you wanted to at times like you could do that type of stuff with him so i'll say yes higher catch obviously not nearly the volume that michael mayer had but right higher yard per catch yes I'll i think you that. noted it ryan he's going to be used differently and when the volume is lower a big play tends to drag that that number out a little bit more right so a 50 yard gain is going to have a bigger impact on a guy that had 25 catches compared to a guy that had 70 catches so that's part of it too. Had a question for Eric Pruitt. Is our wide receivers college football playoff good? They're that college is. football playoff talented. We got to see them play games first, but the talent's there, you know, again, because it's not like they don't have to go carry the offense the way that Ohio State's receivers do, the way USC's receivers do, the way that LSU's receivers did. They don't, they're complements to the run game. Again, I'm, I'm everyone's talking about receiver. I'm more concerned about the offensive line than I am the receivers, as of, for based Same. on what we've seen so far. Yeah, and and so yeah, I just I'm, can we play a game first? George, it, it's George's like one. if they yeah. if they were out there killing it every game, the, the we'd be sitting there. Uh, have we overhyped the corners? Are the corners not as good as we thought? You know, sure. are, are, it, that's that's the nature of when you're when your team is going against each other. When someone wins, the other means another player on your team loses. Sure. And it's just the every I just need to give up on trying to convince people not to freak out about practice reports because I do it every year and it never works ever. Georgia Georgia made back has won back to back national championships with Lad McConkey as their as their best receiver. So there's different Thank ways you. to skin a cat is also Thank my uh, point there. Exactly. Archer four five two Texas A&M's twelfth man plus NIL fund is discontinuing NIL, NIL operations after discussing an IRS memo from early June. 
do you foresee the big NIL bag schools start to struggle moving forward? No, because they're just going to go back to doing it with the way they did it before the, the collectives. Okay. They're just going to start doing it under the table and paying cash and cheating that way. Guys, Texas A&M has been paying players large sums of money as long as I've been alive and, and longer. If you're, you know, I can only speak to my lifetime. I mean, if you forget, go watch Pony XS, right? You know, the, the trans A&M. Okay, this isn't new. They're just going to go back to that, Ryan. That, that's what they're going to do. They just thought this was cool because they could pay players more directly and upfront and they could write it off. Right. You know, where now it's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go back to doing it the way that we did before. That's exactly what's going to happen, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. They'll find a way. Matt, yep. 2011 GT. Thank you so much for the super chat. Find out. Find out they can't get here fast enough. Wait, find out they. I think it's just for first game, basically. Oh, first game day can't get here fast enough. August 26th. Thanks for all the great content, guys. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you it. You are welcome. Had Kyle Barry, could the recent development of defensive line depth and strong performance in fall camp change the season outlook? Oh, I think we already hit we kind of, yeah, he did that as a super chat later. So oh, gotcha. That's, gotcha, that's gotcha. my bad. Archer four five two says, "Are there any twenty twenty four commits that you are concerned about potentially flipping, or does the current class feel locked in?" I mean, there, there's nobody right now we're worried about Ryan, but that no. that doesn't mean that no one's going to flip. I mean, I wasn't worried about Owen Wafel until it happened. You sure. Know I mean, so who knows? But as of right now, there, there's no Peyton Bowen in the class as of right now, where it's just constantly worried. None of the here's the thing is last summer Keon Keeley took trips, Peyton Bowen yeah. took trips. Other guys took none of these kids went anywhere this spring yeah. in the summer. Yeah. None of them. So yeah, they feel more locked in. But folks, anything can I, I sure anything can happen. But I yeah. I could if you were to ask me last May, who do you you know who do you think could be the flips? I mean, look, I think he's gonna stick, but I think Peyton Bowen you have to at least be concerned about. But you know, look, he tells us he's gonna stick, he tells us he's all good, you know, blah 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 blah. That's there. I couldn't tell you who that would be in this class, Ryan. It would be someone right, that we're not expecting. Right, like Isaiah Canyon, if he was still in the class, would have been my pick because you knew the offers were going to keep piling up and he was right there. And there just was a lot. His recruitment happened kind of quickly, you it know, did, just kind of, yeah. you know, and and uh, he would have been the one I would be worried about. But there's nobody in this current group that I look at and say, gee, I wonder what's going to happen with that kid. I just sure doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm just saying I, I, I couldn't point to you and tell you who that who that would be, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not going to speak that into existence either way, Archer. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Ohio State fan, always trying to start some stuff. <laughs> Seriously. Beef Eater, ND08. If you were just anoint, appointed the head of the IRS, who would be the first three head coaches you would audit? Well, the reality is, is none of these coaches are stupid enough to use their own funds for that kind of thing. So True. I don't True. think that would have anything to do with it. I would say who would be the first main donors that I would that I would want to audit? It'd be that John was it John Ruiz at Miami, right? Yeah. He'd be one. Yeah. Uh, whoever the big bag man is at Texas A&M and then whoever the big bag man is at Alabama and Georgia, those would be the guys I would want to go after. But these coach, none of these coaches are stupid enough to do that. And the guys Tennessee, that are stupid enough Tennessee's to do that have already been fired. Too. Yeah. What's that? So Tennessee's got a big bag yes. man too. Oh, so. yes. Yep, no doubt. All right, last few, Ryan, and we're going to get up out of here. Dan V, with a 12 and potentially 16-team playoff, do you think there will be less movement in rankings after a perennially a good team loses a game? Well, I don't think we'll see that. I mean, I think they'll – look, I don't think that 
I think that times a committee would prop a team up late to get the the matchup they liked, but I never thought there was a lot of, gee, that team didn't fall as far as they should, other than teams that just kind of had deserved the right to not fall that far, like Bama after a while. But I don't don't think so, Dan. I mean, I I understand where you're coming from. It's kind of like, well, now you can drop a guy more than you would have otherwise because you can drop Bama to 11 because they're still going to get in that kind of Doesn't matter process. As much. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think it would, I think it would take a couple, couple losses I, where I, and I think it'll be the, the people who drop is because he said perennially a good team. That's never who had the big drops. And I don't think they're going to have the big drops now because they're going to still get the benefit of the doubt and yeah. they care about seating. You could drop a team down, but what if they still win the league? You want to make sure that they're high enough to still get that number one seed. If you're going to buy into the fact that they were arbitrary, I mean, they were they were purposely not dropping them as far. Then I, I still think that still holds, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, two for travel. If you could reshuffle the big three this year, where would you place them on the schedule? Ryan, I like where the big three is. I I would maybe yeah. change around some of the games around them. I don't know. I like I wouldn't want to play Clemson at Clemson early. I want to play Clemson right. when when you really know who we are. I like Ohio State. I don't want to play them when 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 their starters got nine starts instead of, you know, whatever. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to need some time to get themselves going, so I wouldn't want any of them any earlier. What yeah. I would say is, is if I could like if I could put Central Michigan after Ohio State and Duke in front of Ohio State, like those would be the games I would move, Ryan. It, it, it yeah. you know, it'd be games like that. If I could put Stanford, you know, before USC instead of Louisville, maybe something like that. But I think the big three are placed pretty well, in my opinion, yeah, Ryan. I they're spaced out well enough. And it's not like, I mean, there's a sufficient amount of, I want to call them tune-up games, but like you know what I mean, like ease-in games. I guess is a good way to put it. I don't know. You know what, Ryan? Actually, I'm gonna. I'm, I I think. Let me let me look up their schedule real quick because I actually may have one small. Yes, here's what I would do differently. If I could only make one change to the schedule, I would flip USC in the bye week because right now you have USC by Pitt, Clemson by. I would go okay. at Duke at Louisville by USC Pitt at Clemson by. So I just okay. flip that. You know what I mean? So instead of playing eight straight games and then having four weeks where you have two buys, I'd play seven straight games, then have a buy, then play three games, then have a buy. That's what okay. I would do. Does I that make you. sense? Yeah. Break so it it's just literally more. just flipping yeah. that one week. So you just move USC back one week and put that buy in between Louisville and USC. That'd be the change that I would make. And then gotcha. you had that that, that three straight of, of USC, Pitt, and Clemson. You'd have that buy week between those. And then you'd have a bye gotcha. week coming out of those. That's the, that's the way I would go. It's just kind of, I mean, it's gonna it could work out for Notre Dame if they're if they're banged up and they're still winning. But just buy two games, buy just seems like a, you know, you could kind of maybe get a little bit out of rhythm at that point in time. You have too many too many weeks off in too short period of time. You know what I mean? That'd be my only concern about that. Sure. Andrew Kenny, how do you feel about Notre Dame corners matching up with Marvin Harrison Jr.? Did fine last year. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, look, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a tough kid to match up against no matter who you no matter who you are. But the, the key for Notre Dame is going to be twofold. Number one is you make him work for it, right? Yeah. Like that's the key. Make him work for it. Meaning if he gets his seven catches for 110 yards, make it come on 13 targets, not nine. You know, you know what I mean? Like make him work for it because that means on six, six of those, you force incompletions. 
right? So in, in a game like this, Ryan, it's not his yards that I care mu- as much about. It's his yards per target that I would yeah. care more of. Meaning you want a lower yard per target, meaning they to get his, to get his, they needed to go to him more and you force more incompletions. That's number one. Sure. Number two, the bigger thing is, and this is don't let the number two and number three guys beat you. That's yeah. what killed Notre Dame last year. It's Emeka. not that Marvin Harrison beat him. It's that they gave up the big play to Emeka on the, the play where Cam tried to undercut the route instead of playing over top, and he catches the outcut, and you tackle him for a 12-yard gain. Cam tries to make a play on the ball, misses. He runs for a 50-yard touchdown, and then their slot get beat you for a 20-something-yard touchdown out of a timeout. Like Those are the things that beat you. It wasn't, it, it wasn't as much uh, the – Marvin Harrison, and that's going to be because Marvin Harrison can go catch 80 for 130. But if you shut everybody else down, guess what? Ohio State doesn't have 400 yards passing. It's sure. when he has 130 and Emeka has 105 and your slot has 75 and Kate Stover has 60 and your back catches a screen for 30 or a check down for 30. That's when you get your butt ripped up. Sure. It's not just because Marvin, Marvin had eight for 130. Right. And, and that's kind of the way I look at it is make him work for his and then don't let those other guys beat you. That's how yeah. I look at it. Cause you're, you're not going to hold him to two catches for seven yards. I mean, right. I sure. mean, that's just not going to happen. He's going to get his to a degree. You just can't let him take the game over and you can't let him make every big play. You've got to force him in completions in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Mecca had like nine catches for 90 something yards in that touchdown last year. So he was their most impactful wide receiver from a production perspective last year. Right. So, right. Now you take him out, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Last two, actually last one here, Ryan. And I think we're going to, I think this is the last one. Yep. Then we'll get out of here. Dan V, if you were Notre Dame football head coach, would you open more practices to media similar to earlier this week where you had full access, but no video allowed? If I was the head football coach in Notre Dame? No, I wouldn't. I've, I've been honest about that. I understand where Notre Dame does it. I just, it, I don't like it from this, from this end. Uh, what I would, what I would probably do if I was Notre Dame, if I could, if I was the head football coach, what I would do is less overall access, but when you get access, it's a full practice. And then I would sit down with the media and had a very clear do's and don'ts. And if you don't follow these rules, then you don't you don't do something. Um, you know, you could say. You could say, like, look, let us have access to six full practices, but we can only write reports from three of them. Or when we write reports, we can only write reports of what we see during certain periods or something like that. Like, look, we're going to give you guys some access to let you, you know, see the team. But at that point in time, it's like, well, then why let us see it if we can't write about it? Right. Like, I mean, I, 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 I get that. So I, I would much rather have four full practices spread out over the first four weeks. So I can kind of gauge the growth of the team. That's what I would prefer uh, as opposed to what, because here's the problem, Ryan, if you, the access that we have now, there's a lot to write about, a lot of writing opportunities, but not a lot to write about. So it's not like we can go to the five, five period practice and say, Hey guys, I'm not going to write anything from today. Can't do that. Got to write something. So then what happens is, is people start talking about things that just like, that's not really Football, you're not really learning a lot about the team and you're making us like if 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 you if you as a coach made all your coaching decisions based off what happened in the first five periods of practice, you probably wouldn't have very be very good football coach. 
but that's what we're reporting on. We had one full practice since the opener. Like, so there's all these sweeping conclusions. If I wanted a, if as a head football coach, I wanted a more honest, objective evaluation, because right now there's a lot of narratives being created based on a, a sample size that we shouldn't be creating narratives from, right? I would say we're going to give you like maybe the first couple days of camp, first full practice, first practice is full. We'll give you two, five periods the next two days to see how our team's going. But then we're not going to see you again for another week. And then we're not going to see you again for another week. And then you're going to get a, a, a full practice late in fall camp. Like, so maybe early next week, you only get four to five total viewings, but four more full practices spread out. So you can kind of see the evolution of the team as we get closer and closer to the season and not keep writing this little like five period. We're not really seeing nothing, but we got to write about something type of stuff, which we have to do, but it, it, it can create narratives that I don't think that the team necessarily wants. That's what I would do if I was a head coach looking at it from the standpoint that I now have as a media person. But if I was just a football coach and never worked on this side, I honestly wouldn't want a lot of access to my team. I, yeah. I, I'd want my team kind of, it's just us against the world and, and kind of go, that would be what I would want. And then what I would do is I'd ramp up the big time on the, the video content that we would produce. Cause I want to give the fans, I don't want the fans not thinking about us for a month. Cause we're not giving them anything. I would just control that content a little Engage, bit more. Right. So I'd give the media four full practices spread out. And then I would have my video team putting a lot of cool, good stuff out. And you guys can come interview our coaches after every practice and get that content. So you're still going to get your fall camp, act, fall camp content, but we're not going to give you as much access. But when you're there, we're going to let you see what this team is turning into. That's what right. I would do if, if I was head football more, coach. More access to the people, I think, right. more than the actual practice action, which I think makes exactly. a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I would do it. So, yeah. and, and I think that would be something that would work well for the football team, but also work well for us on our side. And uh, yeah, that's where I would, that's where I would go. So anyway, Ryan, that's it, man. Why don't you take us out of here? Friday free for all mailbag about to sign off here before you all leave, please hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, that notification bell at the bottom of the screen. If you're listening to this on YouTube, smash that thing right now to know when there's a next show that's going to be coming up very shortly. Also boards at irishbreakdown.com at the bottom of the screen for all your latest team and recruiting intel as we move closer and closer to the season, including visitor lists, including recent content uh, player. Uh, yes. Practice reports. Yes. Yes. We passed 3000, by the way, it reminded oh, nice. me of that. When you brought up the boards at oxbreakdown.com, we've talked a lot about getting over. We are past the 3000 subscriber mark, Ryan. So we hit our, we hit yes. our 2024 goal a year early, which is what I was hoping we could do. So on awesome. the, but that doesn't mean we want you to stop because now we're shooting for 4,000, but we did hit our 3,000 subscribers goal. So thank you all very, very much for the new subscribers. Uh, we've had a lot of a lot of Shamrock and Gold Club members signing up. A lot of people that whose memberships expired on PayPal are signing back up as Shamrock members. So that's awesome, too. Nice. We really appreciate that, guys. But, yeah, Perfect. we surpassed the 3,000 mark, Ryan. So that's job security, baby. Yeah, man. <laughs> great news. And if you are listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, Please subscribe to the podcast first and foremost, but also five-star reviews are also very much appreciated. Hope to catch you all on the boards and we'll talk again very soon from Ryan. That is Brian. Thank you all again for joining us on the Friday through for all mailbag on the Irish breakdown podcast.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.